Hello, people. Welcome to Capture the Thoughts. It has been a while. I'm your host, Sarah, and you are tuned in for a weekly dose of introspective and engaging musings of a 20-something-year-old millennial. In my podcast, I discuss thoughts and reflections of my everyday life regarding personal growth and self-development. I'm no expert on these topics. I simply share my stories and my thoughts. But if you want to connect, follow me on my Insta at Sarah Jung with two S and two J and at Capture the Thoughts underscore. I would love to know about your thoughts on the episodes and what topics I could discuss in the future. And once in a while, I will also post on my stories some questions regarding the topic that I plan on uploading that week. And yeah, I always get really excited about the responses that I get and just, you know, it gives me an idea of who I will be speaking to. So that's really fun. Anyway, just a side note on when I said <laughs> weekly dose of musings, I realized that my weekly has become more bi-monthly. Um, when I was planning for my podcast, okay, all throughout the summer, I genuinely thought uploading one episode per week was more than doable in terms of, you know, being consistent. But I feel like now that my life has picked up its pace a little bit, weekly podcasting feels a lot more <laughs> than I had originally thought. It does make me wonder how like all these other podcasters who also have a full-time job like I do keep up with their weekly uploads you know some of these podcasters with full-time jobs have like families and stuff and it's like okay that's admirable because I see how much work this is and anyway yeah I might need to learn their ways in terms of their time management balancing their Monday through Friday job plus keeping up with their podcast baby but I personally like consistency and thrive on that so I guess I'll try my best to plan for my episodes a bit more ahead, but that's the best explanation I got right now for my MIA happening over the past few weeks. Um, at the same time, you know, I want to put up quality content. Like, I don't want to just babble about some topic for the sake of, you know, pumping up, I mean, pumping out <laughs> episodes. I like am the type of person whether I'm speaking on a podcast or anything, like I need time to sit with myself in front of my computer or on my sofa with my journal to organize my thoughts and like what points I want to discuss. So when I feel rushed throughout the week and my only focus while recording is just getting whatever mediocre content out, obviously the quality of my content feels compromised and I obviously prefer to avoid that as much as possible. But honestly, who knows? I guess we will know whether this is going to become more of a every other week thing going forward, but we shall see. Anyway, today I want to talk about my experiences growing up as an Asian American in this country. Now, this is a big topic for me, and you will understand why real soon. This is one of the topics that I had wanted to share ever since I even entertained the idea of podcasting for the very first time a couple months ago. But first and foremost, okay, I know that race is not necessarily salient or like really relevant in everyone's identities because not everyone is totally in touch with their roots nor cares about where they came from. You know, I'm not judging that, but that's the reality for some people, right? 
you know, maybe their parents didn't emphasize their racial or ethnic identity growing up. Maybe they grew up in a pretty homogenous place and race just honestly wasn't relevant in their lives. But whatever the case is, okay, as for me, my race and ethnicity was super salient to me. And my everyday life forced me to consciously care about it. It's not that I wanted this to be the case, but I was put in social environments where I didn't have much choice to, but to, you know, notice and acknowledge my Asianness. So, needless to say, my racial experiences shaped a lot of who I am today and how I see the world for the good and for the bad. Um, it shaped how I interpret things that happen to me, how I make decisions. And it really is astounding to me how much of a role race played in the person that I am today and the way that I do things. Because, I mean, ideally, we would like to see race being as neutral as possible, right? And I'm sure we can all point to that one or two, maybe, things, whatever, that we attribute great power to in terms of what molded us into the person that we are today. Our childhood, our relationship with our parents, our faith, our SES, you name it. For me, I mean, it is truly all of those things, but race for sure take, you know, makes top three. And as we all know, historically speaking, and hello, just turn to the news speaking, race is already as loaded and complex as it can be. Then you tie that in with somebody's identity, you end up with a complicated situation with yourself. And since my childhood, I have gone through both overt and subtle racism, along with moments of racial empowerment as well. And in this episode, I want to share some of those stories and ultimately the lessons that came along. So let me start with the brief background of, you know, to set the context. So growing up, I didn't know that race was like a thing. <laughs> and that's because, surprise, I grew up in Korea. So much diversity there. <laughs> and I hope you realize that was complete sarcasm because there, basically everyone around me looked like me. You know what I mean? Like black hair, brown eyes, monoliths, all that. Women being pretty petite for the most part. Some men too. I mean, there was obviously technology. <laughs> so from like media and of course books too, I knew that non-Asian humans existed somewhere in the world, but it never crossed my little eight-year-old mind to even think about assigning any sort of values to the different races ever while I was growing up in Korea. Having different skin color was analogous to people wearing different clothes and having different hair lengths, as in that's how neutral skin color was to me. Well, that normal but naive mentality was shattered as soon as I moved here. It was January of 2004. I had just turned 10 in Korean age and 9 in American age. And I head over to America with my parents and my little sister. Sarah goes to an American school for the first time and she is amazed. <laughs> it was Okay, low-key overwhelming for my little brain to process seeing so many different colored people in one place. Colored as in just like different skin color. Ten-year-old me was like, 
I've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> I remember not being able to stop turning my head side to side every few seconds, checking out all the quote unquote exotic humans around me, thinking, OMG, my whole life had been a lie. Like, white people are real, black people are real. Like, what are those people? Indians? Like, I've read so much about you. You live here? And I really just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like my first recess at school, when all the kids were outside on the blacktop, I was like, oh my God, the whole world showed up. That was in New Jersey, where I stayed for only a few months before moving to Ohio. I know, so random. It was for my dad's job, but yeah, good old Lima, Ohio. Just kidding, not at all. So Lima, Ohio is far, far from diverse. And that was more than a decade ago, but I bet you that has not changed at all. Like the town already sucks because <laughs> you get in your car and all you see are cornfields and the hottest spot in town is, I kid you not, a rollerblading arena that just smells like feet. Um, so now you have a picture, but a scoop on the demographics of this place. It's not that Lima is all white, but literally either you're white or you're black. I think there was one Native American kid in my class who had his hair like come all the way down his back and he wore braids once in a while. But it's not like the diversity you picture in like New York City or like in the East Coast, West Coast, you know, or like in textbooks, for example. In Lima, there is not even 1% of Asians, okay? Like it's in like the decimal range. Because yeah, immigrants just all flock to Northwest Ohio, right? So when I showed up on the scene in third grade, kids at school looked at me like uncomfortably long like I was some exotic animal and this was a huge school so it was a lot of eyeballs to be bothered by even in public places like at libraries and at Kewpie which oh my gosh Kewpie hamburgers is the only reason Lima deserves any recognition but these shameless people in line would just stare at me and my family while we're just ordering burgers with like literal dead looks on their faces for more than five seconds, which is a long time, by the way, to be staring at a stranger. <laughs> and I remember like in moments like that, I actually felt like a foreigner, you know, um, at least in my school, because these kids eventually got used to seeing my Asian face every day. They stopped staring at me so much. But my gosh, it was an uncomfortable period in my life. Regardless of the stairs, though, becoming less a thing during my elementary era of life, on a more serious note, I quickly learned that in this country, race gets assigned values. And my Asian race was simply not at the top. I mean, if we go into discussion about Asians and model minority, that's a whole nother conversation. But just to stay on track, I quickly picked up on the reality that the white race was at the top, you know? And I was in third grade when this fact or lesson, whatever, was instilled in my child brain that white was the preferred race and everything else was inferior. And as subjective as they are, I have many anecdotes that led me to see this to be the case, which I'll share. Um, I just have to say, as a kid who grew up in a very racially homogenous country, where literally over the nine years that I spent in Korea, I came across one non-Korean person. And the reality that America 
organizes like race on a social hierarchy and that the rankings grant privileges and disadvantages based on the placement was equally disgusting, but also truly fascinating at the same time. Fascinating because I was befuddled about this kind of a stupid system existing. Um, But early on, I absorbed these quote unquote truths that white was the ideal, white was the supreme, white is the archetype of all races. And back then, obviously, as a child, I had no language to articulate all these things. But, you know, I didn't have like the vocabulary and the schema to form these ideas into words. But that did not stop me from subconsciously like adopting these ideas as quote unquote truths. Now begins story time. We're going to start with my very first crush. Context to reiterate, I'm still in Ohio. I'm in third grade. I'm still somewhat fairly a new student at the school. And I see a cute boy. Uh, He was in my class. I still remember why I was so into the little dude. He had such luscious blonde hair and such big beautiful brown eyes (laughs) and he had such a cute smile on all the time so I was like always enjoying my view in class (laughs) at this point um it had been a little under a year of me moving to America so yeah I'm nowhere near fluent in English but I was able to comprehend everyday social language and utter a few things too so one day one of my classmates Brian asks me during library when we're just walking around to pick out books hey Sarah do you like any boy in our class I was so thrown off just because I thought that stuff was personal. (laughs) And it's not like Brianna and I were close, but because I was so thrown off, I just ended up blurting out my answer, truthfully, unfortunately. (laughs) Of course, instantly regretted it. But to make sure this information stayed private, I told Brianna, don't tell anyone. And then, of course, like within five minutes, Caleb now knows I like him. Oh, yeah, that was a crush's name. Like, literally, how unreliable are some people, like, even as kids? (laughs) This all happened during our special on the day our class went to the school library, like I said. And after we picked out our books, we all sat down at our assigned tables to read, silent period, before a teacher comes to pick us up. Caleb actually sat at my table across from me. And here we go. Like, while I'm trying to read my Junie B. Jones, out of literally nowhere, he goes... But I don't like Korean girls. And when I heard that, first of all, I did understand what he had said. And I basically just froze on the spot and didn't know how to react. Like it was obviously shocking. Um, I immediately fixated my eyes on the last sentence that I had read or I was reading in the Junie B. Jones book and read the same line like over and over again like I can't even tell you how many times and I was already busy cursing off Brian in my head but also busy trying to like process Caleb's comment and this was my train of thoughts okay Caleb doesn't like Korean girls okay so that means white boys don't like Korean girls okay so Korean girls are not pretty to white boys Korean girls are not liked by white boys okay so this means Korean people are not liked by white people. And that was my conclusion. That was my final interpretation of the situation as a third grader. And once that fully set in, I had a moment with myself. Like I wanted to 
take some sort of a magic eraser and erase the quote-unquote yellowness of my skin because for the first time in my life I felt disgusted in my own skin but what was I going to realistically do you know I was entirely covered with it I was born with this skin tone this was me another story contact wise I'm in fourth grade now still in Ohio (laughs) unfortunately and I get into a fight with this girl named Megan but Actually, we were friends. That's how we started. We were neighbors. Her house was right down the street from me. And so we hung out a lot. Oh, and her little sister, Brittany, was the same age as my sister. So I know they talked a little bit. And yeah, all of us would have like play dates, have good times together. And because Megan and I lived on the same street, we got seated next to each other on the school bus. Um, when we were fourth grade, which was awesome (laughs) until it wasn't because we got into an argument one day and I can't remember what we were fighting about, like probably something dumb. It's not important, but she started straight up being racist to me. So we were going back and forth bickering. Then out of nowhere, she pulls this out. She stretches her eyes at me and says like ching chong, you know, that kind of stuff. And like, you should go back to your country. Isn't this unbelievable? Like, you think this used to happen like 20, 30 years ago? Um, But yeah, I was mortified. And listen, at this point, I don't know the word racism. No one has taught it to me. Um, Race, again, not really salient in this part of the world. But what I knew for sure was that whatever she was doing to me was wrong. And it made me feel dirty. Now, During this moment, my process of interpretation of the situation is, again, okay, she doesn't like me, so what does she do to express that? She uses the fact that I'm Asian against me. That is her weapon. Wow, okay, got it. And that is possible because my race is inferior, and it is a disadvantage, and it is a weak point. And once that sets in, the 11-year-old me just felt like you know livid all over again like I felt with Kayla and I felt my blood boil but what do I do you know (laughs) I to satisfy the anger within me I started cursing at her in Korean because I wasn't fluent enough to do that in English and I didn't really know curse words back then as a kid but she goes haha I don't even know what you're saying what are you saying (laughs) and Yeah, so because she wasn't understanding what I was saying, I realized, okay, yeah, there's no point in me doing this. Like, And I was feeling defeated. (laughs) But my pride hurt too much to just sit there after what she did to me. And I had to do something. So not that this was the right thing to do, but I elbowed her. (laughs) And apparently I threw her off because her eyes like widened and her jaw dropped. And she was like, whoa, did you just hit me? (laughs) I mean... I don't know how I expected her to respond, but nevertheless, um, she defended herself. She elbowed me back and it freaking hurt because she was much, much bigger than me. So when she hit me back, it was like really painful. (laughs) But again, my pride. So I elbowed her back. And after going back and forth a few times, I had to admit to myself, okay, sis, you picked the wrong battle. This ain't worth fighting (laughs) because I was losing hard and I was in pain. So... I just stopped hitting her at one point and just pouted all the way to school. 
But at that point, these fifth grade boys next to us were shouting at the bus driver, Mrs. Ross, Sarah and Megan are fighting. And she had caught us in the mirror. So yeah, we were caught. And I think it was the same day or the next day when we both got called down to the principal's office. It was the only time I was ever called down. Um, And I remember, and I don't remember what the lady was saying because my English still wasn't like super, super good, but probably something like, we don't hit each other in school, girls. Please don't do it again. And that was that. But Megan was persistent. So she apparently tells three of her friends about me and IDK probably told them to make fun of me because after that day, they, those three girls would chase me around that recess, stretching their eyes the same way Megan did and called me China, even though they knew I was Korean. Another moment, I wanted to erase my skin color off with some magic eraser. And after a decent accumulation of little moments like that, or maybe I shouldn't even call them little, it was pretty clear to me to accept as a child. Okay, in this country, like, let me conclude, my Asianness does not serve me. And it is not good to be Asian here. And this next thing I'm about to share with you might scare you as it did when I became an adult and was remembering this event. So when I was in Ohio between third and fourth grade, which was exactly when I was experiencing these overt racist incidents, I was having an absolute obsession with Barbies. (laughs) My family was not well off during that time, but Yeah, looking back, I still own like 14 Barbies with a whole ass Barbie house and accessories and everything because any chance I had an opportunity to go to Toys R Us, I begged my parents to get me new Barbies like I was begging for food after, you know, having starved. (laughs) So gradually, I accumulated a whole bunch of these dolls and on a regular basis, I had an absolute blast in my room with my Barbie friends. That's what happens when you don't have friends. (laughs) You get yourself Barbie friends. Anyway, I take those Barbies and play house with them, play school with them, play aftercare with them. I wasn't kidding about being obsessed. Am I right? (laughs) They were my prized possessions. I literally named every single one of them with a first name, last name, a middle name. And I gave each of them personalities. I think I was like their full-time managers. Okay, literally anyway, one day I stepped up my game as their manager and gave each of them clicks. And guess how I grouped these girls? Um, Basically, I was just stimulating what I was experiencing and seeing in real life, but that's why this is revealing. I grouped all the prettiest white Barbies into one click and the most, um, yeah, And I considered them as the most popular ones. And then the one Hispanic Barbie I had, the one Asian Barbie I had with all the ugly white Barbies, I grouped them into one. Um, And I say ugly because they were like the cheap generic knockoff Barbies that I got at the dollar store or like because I messed up cutting their hair and their ends were spiky and stuff. And when I played school with them, I made the white pretty Barbies bully the minority Barbies and the other Barbies. Like, need I say more about this? Literally, I could have been a case study for some social psych professor writing a paper on childhood and racial formation theory. You guys, I don't think I need to break this down any further. My playtime with my Barbies 
demonstrated the reality that I was observing in real life because to me, white equated beauty, popularity, power, value, and how sick is that? Um, that I made my Asian Barbie, my one and only Barbie, Asian Barbie, Mimi, <laughs> or what's her name, the Barbie that resembles me, at least in terms of physical characteristics, the closest be bullied too. And you'd think in fifth grade, after I moved back to New Jersey, where there definitely is more diversity and thankfully more Asians, things got better for me. I mean, absolutely better, but racism still in the air. It's just more like a fog now in that it's subtle because it doesn't cause complete darkness, but it is persistent. Does this paint a picture or confuse you? <laughs> in sixth grade, okay. So almost half or at least a third of my class were Koreans. My Korean classmates and I, not that we were all super close or anything, but we would talk amongst ourselves once in a while behind our teacher's back saying, oh, Mr. Blah, 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 blah is racist. Not because he called us out for being Asians or Koreans, but because he would just do subtly racist things. And as subtle as those actions and words and mannerisms were, we're not dumb, you know? For example, the girls in my class were pretty tame. So it's usually, you know, the guys who are causing the trouble. But my teacher's response to a white male student fooling around versus an Asian male student fooling around would be noticeably different. Like, I still remember those moments. Fresh. Um, to a white student, he might just call him out and tell him to settle down. But to the Asian student, he would seem more comfortable expressing his anger and annoyance. And I would see a harsher glare. I would hear harsher words when he's reprimanding the kid and use expressions like, are you kidding me? And say it in like a disgusted tone. And like, I felt that. And we collectively as Asian students felt that. And I personally had a few incidents with him too. You know, it's not like he was ever going to like address us as like yellow monkeys and say stuff like you're Asian. How could you get this math problem wrong? But that's the thing. You don't need to be so outright with your words or behaviors to make someone feel lesser about themselves. Um, the subtleties have the same effect. And I know that my Asian peers have internalized this kind of racial hierarchy, too, because during fifth and sixth grade, um, I was in a friend group with mostly Korean girls. And whenever any of us would leave our little circle to talk to white girls, my friends would badmouth that person for, quote unquote, trying to be popular or, quote unquote, trying to be better than all of us, which shows that they subconsciously believed white to be the superior, the superior group. And I have many, many more anecdotes on these kind of microaggression because really I've only talked about like my elementary experiences right but even throughout middle school high school and college you know these things continued um like there would even be a quota on how like certain clubs or organizations that selects students to be in it you know like it's not like 
everyone is welcome. You know, those clubs that like you have to apply and go through like an interview process, go through like a certain process, like whenever those clubs were involved, like we knew, okay, the club advisor or whatever is only going to accept like one or two Asians, like probably like one Asian female, one Asian male, you know, like maybe two female Asians, like whatever. Right. But all this stuff, um, yeah, like all these life experiences have led me to internalize that my race is not something to take pride in. Um, I think that's pretty obvious now with my stories. And low key, as much as I avoided as long as I can admitting this to myself, I did often have moments feeling embarrassed about being Asian and how people are perceiving me in this country because of it. There was, I guess, a bit of shame attached to my racial identity. And it was really only recently, as in within the last five years, that I came to a place where I shed that kind of shame off of me. Because this kind of shame, I realized, was influencing certain decisions of mine. Um, One being, when I got to college, I stayed far, far away from joining any Asian clubs and organizations because... I mean, I had tons of Korean friends and, you know, that was a great part of my life, my college life. But such strong public associations, like joining an organization strictly based on being Asian or Korean, whatever, made me feel a certain way, like not in a good way. Anyway, how I came to shake off this kind of shame was when I visited Korea during summer four years ago. Mind you, this was the second and the last time I went back after moving to this country when I was 10. And while I was there, I talked a lot with my older family members, like my grandparents, uncles, aunts, and cousins. And in our conversations, I learned a lot about my mother country that I didn't know or I didn't know as well as before. And at that point, Um, And honestly, even now, I don't know as much as I want to about Korean history, Korean culture, blah, 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 because I was educated in Korea only until the end of second grade. So there wasn't much schooling for me to have learned from, Um, although culture stuff I'm more in touch with because of media and blah, 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 blah. Um, But it's sad. Like, I know heck of a lot more history of U.S. versus the history of Korea. Um, and yeah, whatever. My family members were, I don't know why, getting me into these conversations about what our country, what our people went through while I was there. And, um, in order to, yeah, like be at the place where we are now, like, and to my listeners, whether you are Korean or not, do look into Korean history. I know plenty of countries have a strong, you know, like a story of resilience and perseverance and whatnot. So I understand that Korea isn't exclusively unique in that sense, but I truly am and was inspired at what my people endured during eras of colonization and how they fought back with such character. Um, Really admirable. You know how like when people are oppressed as a nation, they may down the line or right after collectively become bitter and resentful personally too and make political diplomatic decisions that are dirty 
or wrong, unethical in the context of interacting with other nations because of their past. But Korea did not seep themselves into any sort of a victim mentality or unhealthy like relations with other nations after what they went through. They stayed laser focused on family, education, hard work, many on God when missionaries from abroad came over and went from a country that was like almost completely destroyed to hello, look at where it is today. Um, also, my family members were all hinting to me, some more directly, like Sarah, don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget that you have Korean blood in you. That should mean something to you. I don't know. Maybe they were scared when they saw me at age 24 that I had become too Americanized. <laughs> Who knows? But it was like they all planned out how to reloyalize Sarah to Korea. But I treasure those conversations um, with my family members who just kind of reoriented my thought about how I saw my race and my racial identity in the context of living in a different country, right? So regardless, that trip was special for me um, because it was one of those major experiences, yeah, like that helped me get rid of the shame on my racial identity and go a step further and take pride in my racial identity. So do the negative experiences that I went through as a child still impact me today? Absolutely. I think because those experiences happened during my more formative years as a young person and just really got calcified in my mind. But the lesson is these experiences are going to continue to come at me, okay, in my workplaces and in other public spaces because this country isn't perfect this world isn't perfect you know people will continue to hurt me and one of the weapons that they have an option to use um is my racial identity but i realized that while i have zero control over how people treat me i have full control on whether i give power to those people to dictate whether i take pride in who i am and whether i decide to keep my head up and face this world every day I mean, I already have issues I'm dealing with on an everyday basis, like, OMG, I'm past my mid-20s, and OMG, is that a loss of collagen on my face? So I don't need to give any more power to people for them to, like, make me question my confidence on who I am, especially because racial identity is something so inherent to me, and it's a deep part of who I am. So all of you, especially speaking to my minority friends, I hope there was some sort of a takeaway for you from my stories and if you've experienced anything like me keep your chin up yeah we're seeing some social changes happen but we know that's going to take a long time and therefore we will at least on a micro level be continue to be ignored dismissed not be considered as valuable as non-minorities but you know your roots and so study it if you don't and always remind yourself the power and the decision to be proud of who you are belongs to you so until next time Keep thinking, keep reflecting, and keep capturing your thoughts. Um, my sister made fun of that line recently. She mocked me and was like, keep thinking, keep reflecting, keep capturing your thoughts, and don't take any action. <laughs> I guess she thought I could add something a little bit more action-y in terms of what I want to say to you, what I leave you with at the end of my episodes. 
I thought it was funny. <laughs> so I laughed about it. But to me, I don't want to tell you to do anything. That's just me. I know like I encourage you to try some things or I give you some food for thought to ruminate on your own time. But I don't want to go beyond being suggestive because I feel like if I'm saying anything valuable, I mean, you can think for yourself because I'm not some guru, you know, I'm not, I don't have an authority to like tell my listeners, you guys, um, what to do with your lives. Like I just see my role in this podcasting role here just to share what's on my mind. And if I spark a thought, I've done my job. <laughs> and if there's, you know, if there needs to be an action takeaway, I trust that you would find your own application because we all have that ability inside of us. You know, sometimes we just become too dependent on other people to tell us what to do with our lives because that's easier. But you have your own box of tools. You have your own medicine cabinet. So keep listening for food for thoughts, but go into your own heads to make these thoughts as, you know, I share my own. Anyway, for real, until next time, keep thinking, keep reflecting, and keep capturing your thoughts. Bye.